Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Luke chapter number 11. And when you find yourself there, uh, hold your spot. That's going to be our main text. And if you would please turn to the book of James chapter 4. We're going to look at three different passages in James. So just put a, a Bible mark there if you would. And it is an honor to be here and to have the privilege to speak and teach and preach a bit. And I have been so blessed to be here and when I was uh, given the invitation, I wanted to be here because I want to be around Brother Schmidt, Pastor Rogers, and the speakers who are here, and it has been a delight uh, to have this opportunity and how God has worked mightily in my heart. I uh, heard about a animal rights activist group that were outside of a department store, and they were trying to get people to sign up to help their cause, and a man was walking into the store, and they said, sir, sir, would you... Would you donate some of your time or money to our cause? And he said, well, why don't I do both? He says, that way I can kill two birds with one stone. (laughs) And uh, they said, you know, we're we're offended by that. And he said, well, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. (laughs) And then he said to him, he said, you know, they said, we don't want your time or your money. And he said, that's fine with me. I've got bigger fish to fry. (laughs) And so he moved on. I've really asked the Lord to give me direction, and I believe that the message of the hour is the big fish that we need to fry. And uh, the disciples come to the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 11, in verse number 1, and it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, he he, uh, ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Jesus goes into the Lord's Prayer, and we know that this is a pattern for prayer. There's so much that we can glean from this pattern of prayer, and I'm not going to take time for the pattern of prayer, but I want to pick up this passage now in verse 5 as Jesus then begins this story. Verse number 5, and he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he said, from within shall answer and say, trouble me not, for the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his what? Importunity. He will rise and give him as many as he needed. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son ask bread any, uh, of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask, uh, an, uh, uh, or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil or sinful, know how to give good gifts Unto your children, how much more? And that's really my question to you, and I'd like you to underline or highlight those three words, how much more? How much more? I want you to think about that. How much more? Will you say that with me? How much more? Wow, that's powerful. It grips my heart. Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Father in heaven, I thank you for these men and the ministries that they represent. And God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary. God, give me clarity of mind and heart and help me to communicate all that you want communicated. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help me not to say anything that would damage the, 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 the working of your spirit here in this meeting. And God, I pray that you would use me now to communicate truths in a powerful way that will impact the hearts of every man here is my prayer and desire. Lord, that we would be greater men asking for greater things. And Lord, that we would be greater in this area of persistency. We sure love you. We thank you for your greatness and goodness. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that God wants to teach us to pray. And I believe that you men are here because you're men of prayer. But I believe that God wants to do greater things than we've seen in recent day. I'd like to have you hold your spot here and, and turn to James as I want you to see a, a couple verses to, uh, to, to correlate this with just so that way we can be on the same page. And the Bible says in verse 2 of James 4, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, and you cannot obtain, you fight in war. But then he says this, you have not because ye ask not. And I have to ask myself the question, why why are churches in the condition they're in today, why are there not more thriving ministries that are really truly getting the job done? Why are we losing ground in America? And why does it sometimes feel like we're losing ground in our state? And I know that there are places and ministries that are gaining ground. I'm not trying to sound arrogant or talk down in any way, shape, or form, but but from where, I, where the ministry was when I was a child to where we are today, it doesn't seem to me like we're gaining ground. It feels to me like we're losing ground. And I believe one of the answers to this is prayer. And Dr. Getch taught on service, and maybe this message would be on supplication. But, but I believe that God wants to teach us to pray. And it, it becomes very apparent that, that Jesus was effective in teaching the disciples about prayer because after his ascension to heaven, and we see the Spirit of God come down in Acts chapter 2. You move forward to Acts chapter 12. James has been killed. Persecution is coming to the church. And the people of God are praying without ceasing for Peter. And I love that passage of Scripture. How about you? They learned how to pray. And you, 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 you read Acts chapter 12 and how God miraculously, you know, uh, uh, the light shined in the prison cell, the chains fell off, right? And he says, come on, let's go. And I mean, I mean, he goes past all of the guards, he opens the gate, and Peter's like, what's going on? And is this a dream? You know? Wouldn't it be great for God to move in such a way that you and I would stand back and look at what he's doing in the church and say, is this a dream? And I believe that God desires for you and I to see great things happen in this day and in this hour. And so I want to present to you several thoughts about prayer that I believe would help us this morning learn from our Lord Jesus Christ this topic of life-changing prayer. I believe, first of all, that life-changing prayer is persistent prayer. He said not because he's his friend, but because of his importunity, he will arise and give him. And that word importunity deals with persistence, if you would. It's a, it's a continuing firmly despite opposition, obstacles, or discouragement. The story teaches us the great need to be persistent in our prayer life. And I believe that persistency is missing in this day and in this hour. Verse 5, this man says, friend, lend me three loaves. So you know the story. Back in, in uh, Jewish tradition, when when someone was traveling, they didn't have cell phones and email and text messages like we have today. They couldn't call ahead and let their friends or family know, I'm traveling from point A to point B. I'd like to stop into your house at a particular time. I rolled into town and I contacted the hotel I'm staying at. 
uh, and asked if I could get in early to check in an hour before the, uh, the official check-in. They said, no problem. I, they couldn't do it back then. And so people would just show up. Loved ones, friends, family would show up and say, hey, we're here. And it was customary to bring them in to give them shelter, but it was more than just giving them shelter. It was feeding them as well. And so now we have three groups in this parable. We have, we have the owner of the home. They've got a space for them to sleep and to take care of their friends who are on this journey. These folks have come in, they've had shelter, but they're hungry from their journey. So the man rises and he goes to his neighbor because they're out of food. They didn't know in advance. And he starts beating on the neighbor's door and says, hey, uh, uh, can you give me some food? I've got a friend here and uh, they've showed up and I've got nothing to give them. I need some food. And the man is saying, hey, look, we've already gone to bed. Now, understanding Custom and, and, uh, and even architecture, and I don't understand it like I should, but I know that locking a door back then was a lot more uh, uh, physical, demanding, and there was a lot more to locking the door than when we just flip a switch today. And so he, he's basically saying, I'm going to have to step over my family, I'm going to wake them up, and then I'm going to have to go through this big process to get the door open. And he says, no, no, you're going to have to go away and come back uh, uh, I can't wake my family up. Now, I want you to notice that this request came at midnight. And I want to just say that sometimes helping others comes at a time that's not convenient. But if serving the Lord was convenient, we would all be doing it, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Ephesians 6, 6, the Bible tells us. So this request the hour was midnight. The honor of it is seen by the fact that it was, it was a, a question asked for someone else. This was not a selfish request, which brings to mind the book of James. The Bible says, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your own lust. So what is the difference between Luke here and Jesus' teaching of of prayer, where he says, asking it shall be given, seeking you shall find, knocking it shall be opened unto you. And what James is teaching here, in James chapter 4, it says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. And the bottom line is this, asking amiss is asking for something that's outside of the word of God and or the will of God. And we have Christians today, and again, this is something that it, I, I'm, I'm preaching this message more to me than anybody here. I can guarantee you that. God has d- deeply worked in my heart and in this area of prayer. And, and I really believe with all of my heart that we have Christians today in our world who are so biblically literate. Oftentimes, we don't even know what is in line with the Word of God and with the will of God. We're asking for selfish, self-centered things. And God is teaching, Jesus is teaching the disciples in this text about what prayer really is. And, and, and yes, he goes into asking for yourself about a son. And so there is that aspect to it. Don't misunderstand me. Give us this day our daily bread. That's a part of prayer. I, don't misunderstand me. But the honor of this request was because it was for someone else. The man is coming and beating on his neighbor's door and he's saying, hey, i got to feed, I've got to feed over here my guest. And the man is saying, go away, my family's in bed. And he probably responded a little softer, go away, the family's in bed, quit knocking so loud. And he kept persisting. Hey, they're hungry, they've been traveling all day. Pastor Hedger, why are you in here? You should be up here preaching. And uh, 
and he persists. We see the hour, we see the honor of the request, but we see the refusal of the request in verse 7. Trouble me not, the door is shut. The door is now shut. Will you take note of that or even highlight that? The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give. The request was turned down. By the way, can I just pause here for a minute and say, I don't believe in kicking doors open that God has closed. But I do believe that today in our world, there are some doors closed that God expects you and I to pray open. He is not willing that any should perish. I believe every foreign field ought to have an open door to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. How about you? And we could go on and on about examples of this. Uh, This was not a selfish thing. He wasn't trying to kick a door open for himself. He was concerned about the need of his guests and the fact that they needed to be fed. And so we see a, a rough refusal. Trouble me not. This is harsh language. But Jesus is teaching the disciples that we must learn to pray and pray and, and realize that there will be times that the refusal seems harsh as you study the word of God and even the Seraphonician woman who requested that her demon-possessed daughter be healed. And she was put off cruelly at first, but this was to test her faith. Faith needs to be subjected to challenging situations as if it's going to develop strength. When God refuses to answer your prayer in mind, the refusal seems harsh at times. It doesn't mean that God is disinterested or unwilling to answer. He wants to strengthen our faith because there are few things that strengthen our faith as much as delayed to answers in prayer. My father is a wonderful man. I talked to him yesterday on the way here. He's praying for me as I preach. He, he was a pastor and uh, he attended Tennessee Temple, and he attended Hiles Anderson College a brief period of time, worked in bus ministries in both ministries, planted a church in Salt Lake City, then my parents separated and divorced, and it was a long, drawn-out process. My dad's been married now five times. The last time he married, uh, several years ago, uh, was, a, was a godly spiritual lady, and he hadn't been married in over 25 years. So that shows you, and I'm not criticizing my dad. I love my dad. He's close to me. He may watch this. I don't know if this will be online or not. But I say that to say he was married four times very quickly in life for me. (laughs) And then he went a long period before he married, and he married a spiritual and a godly lady. I'm close with my father, and I thank the Lord for him. But prior to that 25-year period, one of the heartbreaks of my life was the fact that my dad was out of the will of God and not serving God in any of his life. And he he was one of my biggest and and greatest prayer requests, that he would get his life straightened out and that he would live for the Lord. I didn't pray that he would remarry, he did. And, uh, and I'm grateful that he has somebody to keep him company in this journey of life. They live in Alaska today. And I don't have time to develop all that, but we're talking about a 25, 30-year prayer request that I beg God for, and 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 I begged him, and I begged him, and I begged him, and I begged him. And over, and over, and over, and over, and over, God refused. And I don't know why, but I know this, my faith is strengthened today because of that answered prayer. About 10 years ago, we had a man in our church when I pastored in Woodland, one of the dear men of our church. His wife was a well-known CPA here in Sacramento, doing very well financially. They had just bought 40 acres out in the country, beautiful, near Dunnigan. And uh, 
they divided the lot. His brother took half the acreage, 20, and he, maybe they purchased it together. They both built shops on their acreage, and uh, they both were going to build houses. Today, there's only one house built, this man's house. He built it during this with his wife in a hospital. Um, but, but anyhow, he, he came home from work at their house in the city, and uh, they'd already started the process to build the house. But they had dinner together. His wife was sitting across uh, the living room, and she just slumped over in her chair. And he rushed over to her and took her body, laid it on the ground, and grabbed the landline. You always want to call 911 from a landline. And he called 911 and immediately began to do CPR on his wife. She was 49 years old. And uh, the paramedics were there in less than four minutes. He said, Pastor, that was the longest three minutes of my life, performing CPR on my wife. They rushed her to the hospital. I got to the hospital. I thought it was his mother that was at the hospital and found out it was his wife. The doctors were doing all kinds of tests, trying to figure out what was going on, and that night, they couldn't figure it out. They came to him and said, sir, we've got her on a machine. She has less than a 5% chance to live. It looks like she's had a massive heart attack. We got word out. We began to pray as a church, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And uh, the next morning, the doctor came in and said, we don't know what's happened. It's not a heart attack. We're not sure. Maybe it was a brain aneurysm. We're running tests. By late that afternoon, and some of the timing I might not have exactly right, they came back and said, it was not a brain aneurysm. Maybe it was a heart attack. It took them a couple of days. But each time they said, she's not, not going to live. I mean, what does less than a 5% chance mean? It's a nice way of saying, she's not going to live. And then they, they finally said, well, we, we don't really know what happened. And after a couple of days, they said, okay, we figured it out. We've run these tests. Her heart stopped, and we don't know why. It just stopped. And uh, now we're running tests on her brain. We don't know that she had oxygen fast enough. We don't know that she, you know, she's not going she, to, she, you know, there's a small chance that she'll live, but she'll be on a machine. All the news was just negative, 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 just over and over. And can I say this? I read a book one time, and it said this, and, I, and I, don't, I don't have the wisdom or discernment in every situation to know the difference, but I know that the leading of the Lord, and there is a difference between taking life that God is sustaining, like Terry Schiavo, okay, and sustaining life that God has taken. And I believe within my heart very firmly that God was sustaining her life. And I believe very firmly that God was teaching our church to pray. And I begged our church family over and over to pray daily, to pray daily, to pray daily, to pray fervently, to spend seasons of fasting and seasons of prayer. And, and, uh, and I mentioned the book of Acts there about Peter. Prayer was made without ceasing, you know, and our church prayed fervently. And they would daily uh, survey her brain and say, well, there's minimal activity. She's going to be a vegetable you know, and after a few more days, they say, well, there's a little more activity, but it's been so long now that you're never going to have a normal conversation, you know, she's never going to walk, she's never going to, they were just wanting to pull the plug. That man was beat down every day, every day, every day, and I was up there every day by his side praying, and the Lord led me to quote to her, Philippians 4.13, morning, evening, and night, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And just a little bit every day, there was just a little bit of good news, just a little bit of good news. Well, there's a little more activity, but it was like, 
just a little bit more. And after three weeks, one day, that glaze over in her eyes that was just dull, there was a sparkle there. And she zoned in across the ICU unit at her sister-in-law. I was in the room. And she said her name. She'd been in a coma for three weeks. And between the third and fourth week, she slowly woke up from her coma. And at one point she said, she would, she would be, a little, you know, the first time just a few minutes and she was out for hours. And then it would be 10 minutes she was, you know, focused and then out for hours. And then it would be, she was in for, awake for a half an hour. But, but she slowly came out of the coma. And when she finally got to where she could communicate a little bit, she says, I, I have this verse in my mind. I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. She was moved after four weeks in ICU to an acute rehab here in Sacramento. She spent one month in acute rehab. My wife and I would come over to visit the family. She had to learn how to eat. She had to learn how to walk. She had to learn to put her clothes on. But two months after this issue, she walked into church on a Sunday morning holding her husband's arm. To God be the glory. Great things he had done. And I believe with all of my heart that God wants you and I to pray for what this world says is impossible. And to pray in the will of God with the Spirit of God because the Spirit will give us utterance. When we don't understand or even know what to pray for, God's Spirit knows what to pray for. He will not give, at the end of the verse, His Spirit to them that ask. And, and, I, and I believe with all of my heart that we're failing today as a church in general in reaching the, the world with the gospel message of Jesus Christ and being the salt and the light that God has called us to be in a world full of darkness that is so bitter. And I believe with all of my heart that you and I, as men of God in this day and in this hour, have exactly what we need, and that's something called prayer that we've neglected and are neglecting. To ask God for the impossible. Few things strengthen our faith as much as delayed and answered prayer. The door was shut. He said, I cannot rise and give thee, but I want you to see the reconsideration. Verse 8, because of his importunity, he will rise and give him. Years ago, I was on a mission field to Costa Rica, and I was taken by Brother Bordell, if you know him, to a poverty-stricken area, and those little children, I'll never forget, would chase our car down the road, and they wanted anything, just a flock of these kids, you can call them a flock, but just this massive group of kids racing down the dirt road. They wanted anything, a piece of clothes, a piece of candy, some money, anything, just, just whatever, whatever you'll give me. I'll take whatever you'll give me. And they, they, they were unashamed in what they were asking for. And Jesus is telling the disciples, when you're asking in the will of God, you should not be ashamed if it's what God desires to do. We should keep coming to him and asking and pleading and begging. Life-changing prayer is persistent prayer. Secondly, life-changing prayer is passionate prayer, verse 9 through 10. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. This is a mandate. These words, these are commands. Ask, seek, knock. Prayer is not an extra assignment in the Christian life to obtain some kind of additional credit for a class on the Christian life. It, it's a regular assignment. That's our duty. And I believe with all of my heart, if we're not careful, we're going to fail our Savior. Because we fail to pray. 
The method of prayer is humility. To ask is, a, is, is an inferior asking a superior, and we have to humble ourselves, and then we have to pray earnestly. Asking, seeking, and knocking is, is earnest supplication. Just as the Bible says in James 5, 16, you can look at the end of verse 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Reminds me of what Jesus said, how much more. Now, if you had an option, men, to, to get a job, if you're not serving the Lord in a full-time capacity, and we understand that, I'm just saying if you had a job, you know, if you're a contractor and here's, here's one job you could complete that's $1,000 and, and you've got another job over here and not much more effort, whatever, just the job pays a lot more and you could double your money, where are you going to go? And God says, look, how much more shall your heavenly Father give to them that ask the Holy Spirit? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, the Lord tells us through James. God often wants us to pray when the doors of circumstances are closed and This requires faith that pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. James 1, 6 through 8, But let him ask in faith, the Bible says, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And a lot of times I hear preaching on a double-minded man, and there's a lot of applications that can be made, but in context, it's dealing with prayer. God is looking for men of God in this day and in this hour who are not double-minded in this area of persistent and passionate prayer, asking God to do the impossible that's inside the will and the Word of God. He is not willing that any should perish. We're living in a world of eight billion people. Are you willing that they perish? Am I willing that they would perish? In all of world history, there's never been a moment where the population has been what it is today. And when I was born 47 years ago, long time. Well, maybe not. Some some of you are looking at me funny when I say that. When I was born, the population of the world was half of what it is today. And it was at its peak back then. To whom much is given, much is required. God has placed you and I in this moment of history at a time that it is imperative that something happens. Hell hath enlarged herself. Lord, teach us to pray. The miracle of this prayer. We look at ask, seek, and knock, but look back at verse 9. He says, ask and it shall be, what's the next word? Given. Seek and ye shall what? Find. Knock and it shall be what? Open. Give, find, and open are all promises that God has given to you and I. Christ states this promise twice in verse 9 and verse number 10. And I love that song, Standing on the Promises of God. Not only do we see life-changing prayers, persistency, and it's passion, but I want you to see the product. Look with me at verse number 11. If a son ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a, 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 a fish? Will he give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more? I get excited about that. 
Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Christ will now reiterate His graciousness by exemplifying a human father. You can't expect a human father to give a bad gift to a son that is in need for food. Again, the application is food. And and can I remind us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God? I believe a lot of this application, or all of it, is it's a spiritual, it's obviously it's the Bible, it's a spiritual application, but but it's not focused so much on self. Especially when you look at the parable. And he's saying, look, just so you understand, there, there's a need and, and for people to, to be fed as a, as a need. And, and as I think about the men that are in this room and pastors who are in a different room, wouldn't it be something if every man here went home to their local church and spent some time on their knees begging God in a powerful way to feed the flock of God as their pastor gets up on Sunday morning and as their pastor gets up on Sunday night and as their pastor gets up on Wednesday night and your attendance is not just that you're there, but you're there in prayer asking God to feed the people of God, to increase, to increase the work of God and then that, that, that the church would be effective in reaching the city with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. The church does not have the power it should have if the men of God are not seeking the face of God and asking God to move in a powerful way. And then he gives the example of a heavenly father in verse 13. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to him that asketh him? How much more? Man, I don't know, we see the generosity. We see the greatness. Oh, what a wonderful thing. What a wonderful thing. And, and I just, I, I guess I want to challenge you men. Encourage your pastor by letting him know you're praying for him. And, and, and pray for him as he preaches and delivers the word of God. Encourage his heart. Show up to prayer meetings if your church has prayer meetings. If your church doesn't, ask your pastor to start them. We need churches that are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God like never before. The, the walls and, and wickedness have been built and, and, and yet God wants to bring him down just as he did in Joshua's day. The world is fortifying their positions and doing all that they can to advance against the church of God. And it's high time that the men of God in this day and hour realize that God wants to bring a revival and wants to work mightily in this day and hour to see souls saved and to see a spiritual awakening. But we have to ask God for it. And we have to be persistent. I'll close with this illustration years ago. Uh, probably, let me think, probably close to 10 years ago. I had been to Washington, D.C., and this is just an example of, of how God can move mightily, but I heard a man by the name of Chad Connolly speak, and Barack Obama had just been elected the second term, and he stood up and talked about how his wife committed suicide and how he was absolutely devastated, had two children. He thought he could never put his life back together and frankly thought God couldn't do it. And God in his grace and mercy brought him through that heartache. And after he was able to heal, God brought to him a woman. And he tells a story. It's a wonderful story. Didn't think he could ever remarry. Didn't think another woman would understand what he was going through. But God brought to him a woman with two children who was not married because her husband had committed suicide. And God brought them together and healed 
his heart and healed her heart and their family with now four children. And the man stood up and said, I just believe with all of my heart, if God can heal my life, he can heal our country. It was a powerful testimony. That man was hired by Reince Priebus to get the faith group engaged in voting. By the way, God instituted three institutions, <laughs> the home, the church, and the government. And I think sometimes the church focuses on the home and the church, but we think that we're supposed to hand the government over to the lawless and wicked. Something to think about and ponder. I'm not suggesting we go run for office. I'm not suggesting that we ought to be praying for those in office. And we ought to be getting behind those who believe in the sanctity of life. That's a whole other story. But that man came in and got people engaged and got people voting. And that's where President Trump came from. And I personally, I don't really like his personality, but I sure like a lot of the good things he did for God's people. I sure miss him. Maybe not some of his statements on Twitter, but I miss him. I don't know, maybe God just knew what we needed. And he knew how to throw the media off by tossing something out over here that they all chased, and then he was over here doing stuff and get stuff done that they couldn't talk about. But that's another story. All I'm saying is, that man's testimony, he said, God could heal this, and God could heal me, he can heal our country. I came back and was in a pastor's meeting, and I heard an elderly preacher get up and preach. He preached a powerful message, and I, and I enjoyed every word of it with the exception of one thing. And I went up to him, and I didn't even think about the one thing, and I went over to say, I enjoyed every word of that, because I like to be an encourager. And I, I started to say it, and then I'm a very open person, too. I said, well, I enjoyed every word, and then I said, oh, well, there was one thing. And I didn't even mean to do that. I wouldn't want to dishonor him. He's older than me. But he basically said there's no hope for America. I just believe the darker the night, the brighter the light, and the more opportunity there is for God to flex his muscles. And every great thing God does in the Bible and every miracle that's, that comes about came from a dire situation. And I'm telling you, we are missing our moment if we're not fervently fasting and praying. Look, I need to practice what I'm preaching. Don't misunderstand me. For God to do the miraculous because he can bring healing to our land. And in this day and hour, Father in heaven, I sure love you. Thank you for these men. Lord, I pray that nothing was condescending, Lord, at all. God, may you convict each of our hearts. I don't know anyone that prays fervently enough. I don't know anyone that prays faithfully, persistently enough. God, I pray that you would help us as men of God in this day and hour, Lord, to seek your face unashamedly for things that we know are in your will and are according to your word that we would see a great revival in this day and hour. God, that we would see a great turning to you, that you would open up countries who are closed, and that includes really America, frankly. This world, is, this, this country is not open to the gospel like it has been in years past. God, I pray you'd reopen the door and the floodgates of heaven. Pour out your spirit. How much more shall our Heavenly Father give them? Lord, we're asking for that so much the more. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.